This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen and amen. And I just want to say to Minister Rodriguez, just let our mother know that we love her so, and we're thinking about you and praying on a continuous basis, and hopefully that she'll be going home today, and just keep us abreast of everything, and we just love you. Amen? Amen, amen. So we're going to go to work this morning on something that God is telling us to do and something that he has placed in my heart for this ministry, for this time, and for this season. Because we are going to, we are going to be fastly approaching the new year and God is going to make a turn in the new year in this ministry. And so I must lay this down first so that it will be solidified in our lives so that when God makes the turn in January and we begin to move forward in January, we will be prepared. We won't be getting prepared. We will be prepared. Amen. So I want to start out by using the example of the children of Israel. I was looking at some things about that and I was studying out some things about that. And uh, in my home now, I got me a prayer room. And it's just, just, and it's just that. It's just for prayer. And it tickles me because even my grandchildren, when they come in there, they're whispering, this is the prayer room. And and no, we're not even praying that. They're just coming in. This is the prayer room. I say, yeah, this is the prayer room. He said, well, what if you do it in the prayer room? I say, pray. Oh, okay. Madam, why we all whispering? I say, because you got to be quiet in the prayer room. But I have made a space just for me. I don't I don't ask for much in the house and I tell my sons and I say, You all can just do have the house. All I need is my room and my prayer room. And so I you know, and I and I always tell Isaac and Natalie they live in the West Wing and Isaiah and his children live in the East Wing and I live down south. And so I'm just downstairs by myself and quiet over in the corner and then I have my prayer room down there. And it's just a place where my own little infrastructure, you know, anybody can come in it and pray, but it's for me, basically, you know, and, and it's quiet. And so when I'm down there and I want to study some things and I want to, and most of the time I do that when my family is asleep and the house is quiet and I go in and I just meditate and pray, you know, about where God is taking us and about the lives of the members of this church. And so in doing that, I began to look at the children of Israel. And the children of Israel, I saw, they were, ne- they were not able to finish the inheritance that was given to them, that had been established. They were not, and it was for a reason why they didn't finish. And God said, and you need to make sure you let them know, don't let this be the reason why Church of the Living Water don't finish. Because Israel did this. Listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you what they did, but they weren't able to finish the inheritance that had been established. They moved in, into a type of infrastructure, and I'll give you a definition of infrastructure for those of you who don't know, because that's what we're building here, an infrastructure. And so they, they moved in type of infrastructure, but they were not able to finish the thing that they had started. Now, an infrastructure, structure, I'm sorry, Write it down so you'll understand. It is the basic physical organizational structure 
needed for the operation of a society. I'll say it again. It is the basic physical and organizational structure needed for the operation of a society. And this morning I want to look at Israel and see if we are able to abstract from this from Israel, the knowledge and information, because I think that this is so pertinent, very pertinent, to where we are and where we are going. So we want to abstract this different information and knowledge from that. So go with me, if you will, to Judges chapter 2. The book of Judges chapter 2. It's in the Old Testament, for those of you who don't know it, right after the book of Joshua. While you're turning there, I want to give you a little backdrop of this time in history and what was going on in the nation of Israel. Where at this point, particular time, they had now entered into the promised land. And Joshua led them in. And so Joshua is now getting ready to die. And so everybody is getting placed into their own place of, or their own inheritance. And we see what, we're gonna see what happens when they get, uh, when you, when they got into the promised land. And, you know, and in the, in, in this promised land, they were in kind of, uh, what you would call a biblical infrastructure. Because the Bible tells us, and I'm not gonna go back and tell you the pages on it, but as you study it out, you'll see. So they were in a type of system that that uh, all of their needs was met at this time. Listen, all of their needs was met at this time, uh, uh, but it was supplied within themselves. Because the Bible said they had houses that they didn't have to build. You all remember seeing those? And they had uh, cities they didn't have to build. They had wells they didn't have to dig for. They had cattle that they didn't have to raise for themselves. So it was in a type of infrastructure within themselves. And so uh, because of that, let's go to uh, Judges chapter 2, beginning at verse 6. So we can see exactly where it's going. So here they are. They're in the promised land. Joshua's about to go. And now they all are going into their inheritance. And they all, they got stuff now. You know, things that they didn't, I mean, they they just walked into this inheritance in the promised land. In verse 6 it says, And when Joshua, Joshua had let the people go, the children of Israel went every man unto his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord that he did for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. And they buried him on the border of, the, of his inheritance in Timnathan Hears, in the Mount of Ephraim, on the north side of the hill of Gash. And also all that generation were gathered unto their fathers. In other words, even Joshua's sons died. And there arose another generation which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord, God, out of their, of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods. 
uh, and followed other gods. Other gods of the gods of the people that were around about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Balaam and Ashtaroth. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he delivered them into the hands of spoilers and sp- that spoiled them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around about so that they could not any longer stand before their enemies. Now, I want you to understand this in this. Now, when it says that God delivered them into the hands of their enemies, I don't want you to think that God gathered them all together and presented them to so whenever God, whenever you read in the scripture that God delivered someone over it, over into it, that means that God was once working with them, they forsook him and he took his hands off or he backed off and now you're delivered because wherever God is, there's safety and wherever he's not, there's evil. And so when they did things and they forsook the Lord, God stepped back. And they were delivered into the hands of their hands. So, it, it, again, God withdrew for himself from them. Because, see, God was the one sustaining them. And that's what you need to understand today. God, I don't care what kind of job you have. I don't care what kind of money you make. God is the one that sustains you. And God withdrew himself from them, and when he, and again, when there's no presence of the Lord, evil is present. So what happened in the Old Testament, whenever you see that in the scriptures, I want you to know that God delivered them to their enemy. You do not want God to deliver you into the hands of the oppressor. By the simple fact that you won't do what he said and you won't, you, you're gonna do your own thing. I'm gonna step back. God will deliver you in the hands of your uh, oppressor. Amen. Again, I'll say it again. Whenever God is absent, evil is present. I'll say it again. Whenever God is absent, evil is present. They were being sustained by God, and he withdrew it. And I like, I like what verse 15 says. Look what it says. It says, Whethersoever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn unto them, and they were greatly, greatly distressed. So here we see what happens. The children of Israel, they got into a position that they knew not the Lord. We do not want generations after us to know not the Lord. Did you hear me? We don't want that because this was a whole generation. They knew not the Lord. They were like, no. So this morning we want to talk about the fact that there is safety in knowledge. More importantly, and most importantly, and above all, there's safety in godly knowledge. See, the children of, of Israel became distressed. And the Bible, if you, if you look, see, you have to, also when you read the Bible, you have to know what it's not saying as well as what it is saying. It did not say that they, they fell not because they did not know how to fight. They knew how to fight. They knew how to fight. It did not say that they did not know. They, they had an army. And a good army. 
So it wasn't about the fight. It wasn't because they didn't have the necessary resources. They had the resources necessary. It wasn't because they were in hostile territory. Israel had always been in hostile territory. So none of those things were the reason why they were distressed. They, beca- they were dis- distressed because of lack of knowledge. Everybody says there's safety and knowledge. It was only because they had no knowledge. And again, there's safety in godly knowledge. Once they lost the godly knowledge, they no longer had safety. See, when God was sustaining them, they were operating in godly knowledge because He was the one sustaining them. When they got away from that godly knowledge, everything came down. So what we want to talk about this morning is the fact that there is safety. If you want to be safe, it is found in godly knowledge. We're going to look at it a bit closer, but you have to understand, it's in godly knowledge. You know, the world says that what you don't know won't hurt you. And that's just not true. Because what you don't know will kill you. And if we don't grab a hold of that, we'll just say, well, I'm not going to worry about it because if I don't know about it, it can't mess with me. No, no, no. What you don't know will kill you. You also hear people say ignorant is bliss. Well, only if you enjoy dying. You know, we say different things and we'll try to grab a hold of those things that the world says. But God has set us on a different path. And we must stay and, and let Him sustain us. I want to say to you, not only what you don't know will hurt you, won't hurt you, know, won't hurt you, but it will kill you. And that's what happens with the children of Israel. This is what happened to them. See, when you lack the knowledge, it will kill you. Now go with me to Hosea chapter 4. Hosea chapter 4. We're all familiar with this scripture. I love to read the whole thing, but I want to concentrate on verse 6. It says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because thou have rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be no priest unto me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Now notice, it did not say for a lack of knowledge. I mean, it did not say for a lack of an army. It did not say for a lack of resources. It did not say that you, it did not say that you destroyed because of a lack of a job. He said for a lack of knowledge. Let's keep reading. Because thou has, in, in verse 6, because thou has rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. And thou shalt be no priest unto me. That means no ex- you will be no example of me in the earth. Seeing that thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. Godly knowledge keeps you and I as believers safe in dangerous times. 
And those are the times we live in. It's not our ability to handle a gun. So you can go to the shooting range, you can do all of that, but that's that that let me tell you, that's not gonna keep you safe. If that was the case, with all of the things that's going on in the world, everybody's got a gun. It is not our ability to fight people off. It is not our ability to have job security. It's in the lack of knowledge. The thing that keeps us safe in these times is godly knowledge. And you can always tell a saint that has godly knowledge. You can always tell that saint that really has godly knowledge. That, that the person that has God, the believer that has godly knowledge, they kind of feel safe in their environment. The one with godly knowledge, they feel safe in their environment. Why? Because they don't let the environment dictate their feelings. Because they're locked into the one that sustains them. Everything that dictates their uh, their whole life and everything around them is based on God's Word. That's allowing God to sustain you. Everything is based on God's Word. Again, there's safety in godly knowledge. The other thing we need to know is where there's a lack of godly knowledge, it leads us to a feeling of being unsafe, unsecure. You know, the world, the word safe simply means protected. So when I lack it, I feel unsafe. See, some of you feel unprotected in many different ways. Some of you don't feel safe in your home. And I'm not talking about just scared to live in your home, just unsafe in your home. And you know what that's from? A lack of godly knowledge. Some of you don't feel safe around your children. And I'm not talking about being scared of them. Let's just be, I'm just, you just don't. But it's a lack of godly knowledge. See, if your children, if your children had godly knowledge and you had godly knowledge, it's, it, you would feel safe. They would feel safe. Godly knowledge makes it where you feel safe. Even in your environment, even with everything going wrong around you, you'd be like, you know what? But you know, for some reason, I feel safe. It's because of godly knowledge. Some people go to church to feel safe because they don't feel safe at home. And why is that? Because godly knowledge is going to go forth at church. So they'd be like, oh, Lord, I just be glad when church because that's where I feel safe. And it should be a safe place. Amen? Now, God's Word have already promised what He's going to do for you and for me. Listen, security, the security is not in the promise. The security is your knowledge of the promise. Do you, do, can you get what I'm saying? See, the security is not just that it says the promise. It's in your knowledge of the promise. Because the promise could say a lot of things, but you're not going to have security in it if you don't have knowledge what it means. Example. Let me give you an example. Let's just say, well, Brother Hastings is sitting right here, so I'll just use him. 
Let's just say that Sister Haston would tell Minister Haston, I love you. Now, and she might, it might be true. And she really loves him. But if he don't believe that, that love is not going to benefit him. It's not going to benefit him. Even though it might be true. But unless he knows it, and he believes it, how is it going to benefit him? I want, I want you to grab this example. Even though she said it, and it may be true. Let's just say it is true. But if he don't believe it, it won't benefit him, not one iota. Think about it. That's what we do as people. Somebody say, you can trust me. <laughs> and you may be able to trust them. And they say, you can, you can trust, you know, you can trust me. But if you don't have knowledge that you really trust them, you just don't. I don't care how much they say it. you like, yeah, um, no. Even though you might can trust them or whatever they're telling you that can, you can trust them with. If you don't have the knowledge, the fact that you can trust them, you're not going to. You just won't trust them. And guess what? It has nothing to do with the credibility of the person. It has to do with whether or not you're going to accept the knowledge of the fact that you can trust them or not. Mm, I don't think you got that. See, it, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the credibility. They might be credible people that said it. But if you don't have the knowledge of the fact that you can trust them, you're not going to. You, and you could, you'll even say, yeah, I know they're trustworthy, but I don't know. Lack of knowledge. There's safety in knowledge. There's safety in knowledge. It's the same thing with God's Word. You can come and you can hear God's Word. You can come and you can take notes. You can memorize it. You can have it on your wall, in your bathroom, in your car. You can hang it in your bathroom shower and in all types of places. You can quote it, memorize it. But if you don't know what you wrote down, if you don't know what you heard, if you don't know what was said, if you don't know what you pinned up on the wall, what you have heard, you will not operate in. You're going to always operate in, listen, the knowledge that you trust. You, that's what you're going to work on. You're going to work on the knowledge that you trust. That's why it's important to have the knowledge of God. Because you are going to operate out of the knowledge that you trust. Remember what we're talking about. We're talking about that safety in godly knowledge. 
See, some of you in here and some of you listening and some of you that belong to this ministry, listen, listen, I'm going to show you. You still feel kind of uncomfortable the way the church is going. Lack of knowledge. That's what it's from. It Listen, it, it has nothing to do whether you think something is wrong or right. Or you might think something is going wrong or you maybe think... It's none of that. It's simply a lack of knowledge. I don't know. A lack of knowledge. That's why you're saying, I don't know. You're right. You lack knowledge. She's a woman. Lack of knowledge. And when you get to this point, this is the point when you need to go back and say to yourself this. You have to say to yourself this. Am I taking notes or living notes? See, there's a difference. Many, everybody in uh, teaching ministry take notes. But are you living? You have to ask yourself that. Am I just taking notes or am I living notes? Have I been listening to the messages or living the messages? There's a difference. Everybody hears it. Everybody can repeat it like you. But are you living it? Because when you have godly knowledge, when you have established a relationship with God, and what God's Word says about you, what it has promised you, when I believe that God has spoken through the messenger. See, you got to believe that too, that he's spoken through the messenger. Then I operate in that, and then I feel safe. Because now I have knowledge. Because God is speaking through the messenger. And so I'm going to operate in what I have heard. Now I feel safe. Not because I have all the answers. See, because, all, listen, all of the answers don't make you feel safe. <laughs> all of the answers don't make you feel safe. If you don't have godly knowledge. There's plenty of people that have a lot of answers. But it doesn't make them feel safe because it's not gathered around godly knowledge. Are you following me? I want you to, I want you to follow me because this is very important. Now, understand, everybody can give you all the answers. Listen, but if your heart, if in your heart, I don't care, they could be the right answers. But if your heart is, it don't believe it, I'm telling you what I'm saying right now. If you feel like, I know, but it don't seem quite right, you're not going to receive it. You're not going to operate in it because there's something about it that says, oh, well, I know. And the answer is right. i said say it again. Somebody can give you all the answers. But if you're in your heart, you believe that what they're saying is not quite right, you're not going to believe it. You're not going to do it. And if you lack the knowledge to know whether it's right, you're not going to do it. And we do that all the time. This is the thing. You're, see, God is bringing it to our attention now. It's something that we operate in all the time. Now, this is one thing about godly knowledge. Godly knowledge reduces fear. 
Godly knowledge reduces fear. And it's the fear that causes us not to finish. So godly knowledge makes sure it's reduced. Whenever godly knowledge is in place, it reduces fear. And fear is the thing that causes us time and time again not to finish what God has called us to do. So if there's areas in our lives, just think of it right now, areas in your life where you're still struggling in a particular area to finish, you need to go back and check and see if you have actually put some godly knowledge to that, to that area. Say, you know what, wait a minute. I've been dealing with this thing over and over again. Wait a minute, I need to go and check. Have I put godly knowledge on that or have you been trying to fix it yourself? Have you been trying to get counsel from, you know, I mean, you can get counsel from godly members, not necessarily godly counsel, just counsel, and but you haven't put godly counsel on it. Godly knowledge. Check yourself. Say, have I put godly knowledge in this area? Listen, because if you're still afraid to finish, or you haven't finished the thing, maybe, listen, maybe you have not applied it. You have not applied godly knowledge. I'm giving you the answer now. You haven't finished because you haven't applied godly knowledge. Yes, you've been listening to it, but you haven't been living it. You live when you, you know, when you receive it, you act on it. You need to ask yourself, did I hear it right the first time? Because see, after a while, you'll start just operating on, you think you're operating in godly knowledge, but it's your own knowledge. See, putting Jesus on your own knowledge don't make it godly. Godly knowledge is going to be here, always. Are you with me? Now, if you want to eliminate the fear and move forward to completion, there's safety in godly knowledge. I need godly knowledge on that. Now, I'm going to give you two definitions of knowledge. Knowledge is, number one, simply understanding moving, moved to action. The understanding that I now have is moved to action. It's not just understanding, <laughs> not godly knowledge. It's move to action, because once you got it, you got to move to action. It also means to establish a relationship with the information. You have to establish a relationship with the information, the knowledge that you got. So godly knowledge would be establishing a godly relationship with godly information. And see, you not just hear the word, you got to, every time you hear a word that's godly knowledge, you got to establish a relationship with that word. We have to make sure that we establish a relationship with information that is godly. That's what I want to do. I'm not establishing a relationship with any old information. I'm establishing a relationship. See, I might get information about certain things, and you know, and it's right information, it's good information, but I'm only establishing a relationship with the godly knowledge. If it's not godly, we and we and you establish a relationship with it at the end of whatever you're doing, because it might be knowledge. It's not gonna be godly. You're gonna get an end result, 
But if you didn't establish it on godly knowledge, the end result won't be godly. It'll be results, but it won't be godly. And we as God people want all of our end results to be godly. Let me give you an example. I was doing a little research and, and I came across that and I was like, God, you're something else. Good example. Good example. Oftentimes we as Christians, we get upset with scientists. Because we feel like they, 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 you know, they should, they should, they should know. You know, we even, uh, I remember when they first found the oldest man on the earth. And the fact that they, you know, we feel like they're gonna get it because they found, you know, they found this, oh, the, the first man to be born, the oldest man on earth, and they found it in the region, in Africa, in Eden. And so most of Christians, we all said, oh, surely the scientists got it now. They done found the man that owed it, over and eaten and everything like that. But they didn't. And we like, I, I thought they for sure would. I mean, really? Really? Let me tell you why. They didn't get it. And they won't get it. You know why? Because they have already established a relationship with some other information that's ungodly. So everything, all of their premise is going to be out in that information that they already have. So it's going to always be different from you. It's going to be always erroneous from you. Because they are establishing everything on evolution. And we understand that we do everything on creation. And if they had that information of creation and understood it, they would have made the man look different. But they made the man look like what they believe and what they have and what they that's what, and we do it all the time. We build situations and circumstances off of information that we have on ourselves, not godly. It doesn't even necessarily have to be sin, but it just doesn't leave you with no godly at the end. It's not going to be produced godly. And so we're like, you know what? Um, listen, you, you might as well forget it. One day the scientists are going to see. No, they're never going to because they're never, they don't, let me tell you, I know you think they read the Bible like you. They don't. They're not going to. And they're not going to hear anything that you're saying about that. They don't see it that way. Because they already have a relationship with a wrong information. And everything that they are developing or speaking after it is coming out of the information. Or, or let me put it this way. Out of the foundation that's in them. It's not going to be. A, no, don't come with me with creation. See, like the people when it says that, that God split the Red Sea, then somebody come up and say, well, it didn't really say the Red Sea, it's the Reed Sea. Because, see, it's the foundation that's already in them. That's the premise. It's, it's going to always be an error. So I'm not looking for no scientists to come and not unless you're born again. They're not going to change. They won't. They found the oldest man in the geographical bounds of Eden. If, let me tell you, if they, if the whole bottom of the ocean was scraped up and they seen the handprint of God creating the earth, they still will not go that route. They will find another way to say, they'll say, this evolved from something. 
When they found the first man that was the oldest man, they said he evolved from something. Because that's their thought. That's their premise. That's what they're going to do all the time. Because that's the relationship they have with what they believe. They have a relationship with it. I wish God's people had a relationship with him like that. That nothing moves me. I don't want to hear about nothing else because this is what I know is right. I'll say it again. All of their suggestions and premise are going to be wrong because they're starting out with the wrong relationship. So they'll never, ever come full circle. Never. And see it your way. They can see the visible hand of God. They won't do it. Amen? So I'm I'm trying to drop home to you how you and I have done things on things like what you all were talking about early this morning. Yeah, things that was put in people when they were young. So that's why it's hard for them to come out of it because that's the premise they live in. New information got to get in there. Or it's no way that they're going to change. It's no way because that's what they're going to build everything out of. Even though it's going to be wrong. But that's all they know because that's what's in them. That's what they put in. That's the knowledge that they have formed a relationship with. Flawed premises all can come from that. It's the same thing in our lives. We're starting our life off. And those of you that are, are, are planning on getting married and you young adults, you know, don't start your life, life off with the wrong premise. Because you can hear a whole lot of sermons and messages and dissertations and deliveries and just good, flat-out preaching. But if it's not with godly knowledge, you, that's all you're going to do is hear it and you're going to bank your life on something without godly knowledge. All of those things. But if the fundamental aspect by which our lives can, is based on the, upon the Word of God, if it's not, you'll never come full circle. You will never come. I don't care how much you go to church. You can go to church as much as you want. You'll never come full circle. Never. Why? Because your mind is not renewed. <laughs> there must be a renewed mind. So there must be godly information. So that now I know I was born, you know, I was raised in this and all of this. But you know what? All of that stuff has been emptied out and something else has been put in. And now I can have a, if the end results of every circumstance and situation is going to be godly. Because the fundamental premise by which... You live life is an error until you do it godly way, the godly way, have godly knowledge. Until you correct everything else is God. Until you correct your way of thinking and what's on the inside and who you have a relationship with and, and uh, situations and circumstances you have a relationship with, until you get that out and renew your mind and get new information, everything in your life is going to be slanted. It's going to be slanted because you're going to be dealing with it out of a wrong relationship. 
I'm driving that home to you because it's so important and it's so big in Christians' lives. Are you with me? I want you to be with me on this. So it didn't matter that scientists found Adam in the Garden of Eden because of the premise. They're not going to, you know, they conjured up in their mind the way the man should look based on the information that's there. Are you with me? So same with us. Whenever the fundamental piece of knowledge that's governing our lives, as long as it's not the Word of God, everything is going to come out distorted. It has to. Listen, listen. and Let, let, me, let me tell you young people something too. Because see, some of you are trying to live off your parents. You're trying to live off of their, what, their relationship with God. you got to build that infrastructure in your own home. You can't, let me tell you. Now, you can't try to copy someone's faith. You gotta have your own. You can't copy someone else's knowledge of the word. That's their knowledge. You might not necessarily believe it. You're like, well, okay, if they believe that way, I'm just gonna go on and believe it. Oh no. Oh no. You have to form a relationship with it. (laughs) I'm just gonna believe like them. That's all I know. Seriously? Especially when you have your own home. I was talking to some people. I don't care where you come from and what family you come from. When you get in your own home, you have to establish your own infrastructure. You got to, you got to start your own. And I don't care how much you love your parents and you don't stop loving them. I don't care what they you you did nothing, but now you must build an infrastructure in your own home. It better be based on godly knowledge, or the whole marriage and your whole life is going to be slanted and distorted. Because you're a believer. Are you with me? So. Uh, Let me see, where am I going with this? Godly knowledge, again, is to establish a relationship with godly information. You know, one of the things that we must do is we need to finish the kingdom of self. Listen. That is, we need to establish the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. See, we it's too many believers have kingdom of self. And we need to, you know what, we need to deal with that. Because in our lives, we must establish the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We need to finish this thing about the kingdom of self like it's all about you and what you're going through. No, I need to establish the kingdom of God and the kingdom of self. Listen, the kingdom of God is our internal relationship with God. You and I as believers, we have to finish our internal relationship with God. All of those areas in our personal, individual lives, we have to make sure that they are lined up with the Word of God. And there's many areas in our lives. We have to be born of God's Spirit, filled with God's Spirit, walking in the ways of God. This is how you make your relationship uh, uh, godly with God. You, make, you have a godly relationship. You're bringing it out in every aspect of your life. I must be born of His Spirit, filled with His Spirit, walking in the ways of God. 
That's the kingdom of God. You've got to be in the kingdom of God. And you've got to have it down on the inside of you. All of those things have to be on the inside of you. Then I've been talking about establishing the kingdom of heaven. Now let me tell you what the kingdom of heaven is so you'll know in this ministry. The kingdom of heaven is our divine area of dominion. All of us have a divine area of dominion. Like our household, our sphere of influence, those situations that are around us, that's divine area of dominion. We should be like ambassadors of Christ. That means everything in our area of dominion should represent Jesus Christ. Everything in our area of dominion, should represent Jesus Christ. Everything in our homes, everything in our walk, everything in our witness should represent Christ. Everything in our lives should represent Christ. One of the things we must establish is an infrastructure where we all come together. And that's what we are establishing in this ministry, an infrastructure. And we must establish that where we all come together. Each one having the kingdom of God on the inside and the kingdom of heaven around us. Did you hear me? All of us must establish that. The kingdom of God on the inside and the kingdom of heaven around us. And when we all come together and we bring all of that to the table, all of us, not some of us, all of it, the pastors, the deacons, the ministers, the lay people, everybody, when we come together, we must come together bringing our spiritual, our spiritual, our financial, all, all of it, our administrative, our resources, all of that. We bring it together and we're able to meet each other's needs. And in that, God has told us in time past, and he'll tell us again, none of us will suffer lack. When we all bring it together. We, we got to bring it together. Listen, if you're gonna be, if you're gonna finish the kingdom of God on the inside of you, if you're gonna have the area of dominion that God is talking about around you, where you represent Jesus Christ and become an ambassador here on the earth, as it says in Second Corinthians chapter five, if you're gonna be a part of the spiritual infrastructure here in your home, you have to finish those things. Finish being with yourself, all about yourself. I gotta be in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Because, and then I have to have the knowledge of it, cause let me tell you, I don't care, whatever you're doing, you can't finish without knowledge. You cannot finish without knowledge. You cannot finish with, you can't finish without your parents' knowledge. I mean, with your parents' knowledge. You gotta have your own. Knowledge not just, uh, uh, does not just simply mean that I have the facts of information. See, that's what we think is. That's just I just need the information. That's knowledge. No, it's it's more to godly knowledge is more than just facts or information. It means to establish a relationship with that. I I can't stress that enough. You have to establish a relationship with the information that you get, or it's only knowledge. It's not godly. It is information, but it's not godly. When you establish a relationship with godly knowledge, you in that knowledge, you become one. When you establish a relationship with it, you and that knowledge become one. 
So when we talk about finishing our internal relationship, finishing our ambassador, see, we should be ambassadorship in everything that we're doing. We must make sure, make sure that we are applying godly knowledge in every area of our lives. I need godly knowledge on that. That ought to be the saying. Once you hear something about whatever, say, you know what, I got to get godly knowledge on that. Because I established my life around godly knowledge. Are you with me? Listen. And this is another thing you have to understand. Now, when I say infrastructure, it's things that we're going to be doing in this ministry and preparing and establishing and wall building and making things. But you can never let all of that be more important than you establishing a, a relationship with God. Did you hear me? That's important. Because, see, we can get excited about things, but it should never be as important as establishing a relationship with... See, you cannot be excited about the big picture and let the little things go undone. Hmm. So we must make sure first that we have an internal uh, infrastructure, an internal infrastructure, where we ourselves, we ourselves are networked with our own messes. Listen... Before we deal with a mate, we have to get our own selves and we have to make sure we have to step our own selves up to another level first. It has to start with you. It has to start with you. Amen. And so in that we see that there are things in our lives that God is trying to resolve on the inside of us. And now that, you know, and the reason why God is trying to do this now before January 1st and everything that he's been teaching us is he's trying to make us fit for use. We have to be fit for use. And some of us are rushing it. I want to be fit. I want to, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. You know, when, you know, when are we going to do this? You know, when are we coming back? When are we going to do this? When, when are we going to do this? We you know, when we come back, okay, when are we going to start back with the ministry? When are we going to do this? When are we going to do that? And God is saying, wait, wait, wait. Just hold up. Wait a minute. He's saying, go back and make sure that you have an internal relationship. Check that first. He's saying, wait, wait, wait. You need to go back and check what's happening in your family. He said, let's look at the finances. You know, I want to say this. Resources in every other community except the African-American uh, community, community, they all turn within themselves. I did a little research on that, and I was like, this, this, is, this is just not right. They turn within themselves. And when I say that, I mean they first, when we see communities, and we, like we see in our city, and we be like, how did they build that? I mean, you could go down North Lamar, and you see where people have built whole infrastructures. And you'd be like, they done came here, and they got this, and they got that. But let me show you, I mean, let, me show, let, me, let me show you how they do that, where we lack. 
And it ain't even, even, even though that, uh, it doesn't even make sense that they are doing it uh, in a godly way, but this is just the principle that they operate in. They first turn into their homes. They turn in at home. They turn into their families. Then they turn into the nation. See, we that, when we see it, it acts like, boom, there it is. But they are putting the unseen work at home in their families. And then they present it to the nation. See, we're getting excited about a lot of different things, about trying to make something happen and, you know, you know, turn up, you know, we want to, you know, in the body of Christ, we want to turn some things and get things going. But what if you don't have it turned at home? See, excitement will get you started. It won't be around in the end. Have you turned in your home? Have you turned anything in your families? See, because it can't turn a third time or a fourth time because the turning is a progression. See, once you see a whole infrastructure of people that made a whole infrastructure, it was a progression. You just saw the end work. See, we're going to get this down. We're going to get this down. Now listen very intensively to what I'm about to say now. Very intensively. Money is not the only thing that turns. See, that's what we think. If it's money, we can do Money is not the only thing that turns. The thing that the infrastructure does is it, it allows knowledge to turn. That's what we want. That's where we're missing it. Knowledge to turn. Because that's a turn from one thing to another. It's a progression. So the infrastructure, what we're building here, is we want to be in a place where it, we, it allows knowledge to turn. Knowledge has to turn. See, the infrastructure that we're trying to leave is not money. It's knowledge. You need knowledge to live a successful life. Because they're going, they're going to come a time in life that, listen, that nobody will have money. And the thing that calls a successful that has lost their money to be successful again is not the money, it's the knowledge. I'm trying to get us to a place. It's the knowledge. Oh, if we just get the money back. No, it's the knowledge. The thing that caused the children of Israel to feel distressed was not the lack of money. It was the lack of knowledge that got them in trouble. They had the resources, but they had lost contact with the source. The godly knowledge. They lost. See, they had the resources, but they couldn't do it. They were distressed in the midst. They were just, everything was going wrong. They had money. Disconnected from the source. 
So knowledge is the primary inheritance. Please write it down. Knowledge is the primary inheritance. It's okay with insurance policies and leaving that, but the primary inheritance is knowledge. And you have to get it passed on. So how does it turn? Let's see. Let's see how does it turn. Well, first, it turns in me. Give myself an example. That's the first turn. Then I teach what I know to those around me. Knowledge has now turned a second time. Then you take that knowledge and you bring it in the infrastructure. It turns a third time. Because now it's in the infrastructure. And then we have children. Now that knowledge turns a fourth time. It turns a fourth time in them because we're teaching them. Did you get that? I'll say it again. How knowledge turns. First it has to turn in me. That's the first turn. Did you get that? Then I take and teach what I know to those around me, knowledge has now turned a second time. Then we take that knowledge that we know and we give it to the infrastructure that we're in, it turns a third time. And then we have children and we teach them that it turns a fourth time to them. And in order for the knowledge or anything to turn, you have to give it to somebody that's going to use it to turn it back. Ooh, that's good. You, they got to turn it back for it to, it got to turn back. So what we have to do is spiritually, administratively, financially, Look at our lives. Look at our godly knowledge. And then we have to say, is it turning? Is it turning? Because if it's not turning, it's a good chance that when you get to temporal things, they won't turn either. <laughs> You're wondering why nothing ain't happening with the dealing. You can't keep it. It, it. It won't turn either. The knowledge is not turning. Because if the knowledge does not turn or won't turn, then any little revenue that you get that comes in, as soon as your children get their hands on it, they are going to blow it. They're going to put it right back out in the streets. They're not going to turn it to make it. It has to come back. It has to keep flowing. Because when, if your children's the fourth one to get it, then they give it to their children. And they give it to them. It keeps going. See, we thought it was only money that turns. That's why fail not to give your children knowledge. I don't care if they don't like it. Who cares? You're going to get this. So we must make sure that knowledge has to turn. Just like any other thing. Because... It is our primary inheritance, and there's safety in that knowledge. And the problem been 
with believers and in this ministry and ministries all over the world is many have had disjointed pieces of knowledge. So it never turns and it never comes back. It is what it is. We just have had disjointed knowledge. But now, God is trying to take you and let turn it in you. That's what was happening with the ones you all were talking about this morning. It's just disjointed knowledge that's inside of them. But God said, now, I'm ready to turn some knowledge in you. And because a lot of our children have come out, and some, of, some people have come out of disjointed knowledge, you work at a disadvantage. And if we don't turn the knowledge, our children will work at a disadvantage. They start off with a disadvantage. But when you, when you are turning knowledge, they start off with an advantage. But it has to be turned back. You need to rebound it back. You know what? I'm, I'm going to say this, and then I, I have a teacher that's sitting here, but you can ask any teacher or any educator or you can ask any, any principal or whatever, but all you really need, and now that I think about it, all I really needed was a sixth grade education. I know you like, what? I don't know. This well, hold on. Hold on. Because you're gonna find out that's 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 really all you had. All you have you ever heard people and they talk about somebody that had made it big and they say, and they only had a sixth grade education. Now let me tell you what I mean by that. See now if you cut that off now and be like, Oh no, she's talking foolish, she's talking about you don't need education. Well see, you're gonna miss it. That's how you go away, you you gotta listen to the whole thing. All of us in here, I'm going to tell you something. None of us knew anything beyond the sixth grade education. Everything that you learned, you learned in the, uh, in the sixth grade. Everything after the sixth grade, every, listen to me, everything after the sixth grade was reinforcements of what you already knew. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't get it because you. I'm in the seventh now. I'm in the, no, no. They were just reinforcing what you already knew. You thought you were learning this, that. No, it's just reinforcements. Ask most educators. It was all, from the seventh all the way up. It's just reinforcement of what you already knew. Because in the sixth grade, you learned English, multiplication. Addition, subtraction, division, a little bit of history. You got it all. You really had it all. Everything after that was reinforcement. I know you think you got, the math and stuff came, the chemistry, that was reinforcement from the math you learned in sixth grade. You wasn't learning anything. That's why everybody that go to college, you pay all this money to teach yourself. That's why they, that's why they be like, you know, they just give you information. Go teach yourself. Because all we're doing is reinforcing what you got years ago. 
So some of you need to stop. Some of you out there need to stop being afraid of your children's books and getting there to learn something. Because that is their primary inheritance. That's important that they have. It's critical because that, if they get the sixth grade education, let me tell you, they, all, everything else is going to be reinforcement. They're just going to build on it. Build on it. But they're not going to teach you anything new. They're just going to build on it. Reinforce on it. I know I taught you all something just then. And then you think about it, you're like, you know what? I know you think you're all smart and some no. No. They're just reinforcing what you learned at the secret. Now, if you don't get a sixth grade education, then I'm, I don't know what to say about that. You're not going to be reinforced. But when you get up to the sixth grade, you have everything you need. See, you don't need a whole, listen, you don't really need a whole lot of knowledge if the knowledge is turning and come back. If the knowledge is moving and turned back. But if it never turns back, you're going to need a whole bunch and you're at a disadvantage. That's where most people are. They've never had knowledge to come back. Some families have. Not many. Because, see, all the knowledge that you do have is going out. And somebody else is reaping the benefit. And if nothing is coming back and turning back, you don't, you know, you're going to, you're just going to, you're going to be at a deficit because you're giving out. You need that knowledge to come back. I know you learned the basic chemistry, science, math. Everything you need to survive naturally. You pretty much learned in the sixth grade. I know. Everything else was specialization that they were doing. Year after year after year after year after year. They did, did specializations. They reinforce specializations of what you already learned. That's why I think some of these places, they go back and like, if they assess you and, they, and they'll tell you where you missed it, well, in the sixth grade they didn't get this. Or in the fifth grade, and you're like, they're in the tenth. Yeah, but they, did, they didn't get this. And again, if you didn't get the sixth grade education, then, you know, you won't be able to do the specialized or any of that. Oh, amen. As you know, sometimes we even think, see, I'm going to tell you how important it is to have the knowledge turning. Sometimes we think that we need a special something like, oh, we need the top of the line and the latest and the greatest and the best to get something done. But you don't. You need knowledge. Do you know that some people that learned how to type never had a typewriter? Somebody put a paper in front of them, put numbers on it, and just told them what to do. They didn't have that. We got the typewriters now, the computers now. But, you know, you don't need all of that to have knowledge. We think we do. Because society told us we do. If you have the knowledge going out and it never comes back, you're going to be in a deficit. And see, that's why the system of this world, the, you know, and especially corporate America, 
When corporations get big, really big, that's when they start layering. What you call layering. L-A-Y-E-R. They start layering things. And this is how they do it. They layer things because it's a lot of things they don't want you to know what it takes. They don't want you to know what it takes. They'll take simple jobs. But don't you know that they hire people just so you can't know? Because, see, if you figured out what they know, then you can do it without them. So they're not going to let you know what you need to know. They would rather give you some insignificant job with a big salary and a title so that you can't figure out how it all works. And we accept it. We don't mind the title and we love the big salary. But they give you just enough that if you leave, you can't do what they do. You can do something, but you can't do what they do. They layer that. They, they put that in place. You don't believe me. Well, okay. Lack of knowledge. And that's why knowledge must turn. It must turn internally. In my household, in my sphere of influence, it must turn. Which brings me to just my very first point of the morning. This deferred for that was just a little foundation there. The first point of the morning. Remember what we're talking about. There's safety in knowledge. There's also safety in knowing the vision. There's safety in knowing the visual vision. Now let me tell you what the vision is. The vision is simply the divine instructions. It's our common doctrine and goal. And the vision makes known the final outcome. I'll say it again. The vision is simply the divine instructions. It's our common doctrine and goal. The vision makes known the final outcome. When you have a vision of what it is that God will have you to do, what God does is make the final outcome known of what He's calling you to do. And that is what a vision is. Divine instructions. I like what in Proverbs 29, you don't have to turn there in 18, it says, where there is no vision... The people perish. But he, he, you got to keep something. You, you, see, when, when you keep the laws of God, happy are you. When you keep the word of God, happy are you. But where there's no vision, where there's no divine instructions, where there's no doctrine, where we are, have a common doctrine and goal, then we don't know the final outcome. See, that's why you don't, you don't understand where this church is going. You don't know the final outcome. You don't know the vision. Whenever there's no, no divine instructions by which you can gain knowledge, people will perish. Now, the law is just a vision written down. The word keeps is kept. That you know, and it that doesn't mean that 
you just hold it it doesn't mean that you establish a relationship with 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 everything around it see you got to know what the vision is you got to know what god has called you you have to see the outcome if god has shown you you have to see the outcome you got to make that vision or you got to lock it in Encage it in you. Don't let it move. That's how you stay running, stop running from church to church. That's why that, that helps you be still. Because you lock it in. You keep it there. You don't let it get loose. The vision written down blesses you. And happy are you. Why? Because I'm now able, able to make progress. Because I have it written down. I got it locked in my heart. Write it on the tables of your heart. Don't let it go. And you know what? That'll keep you from being offended. You lock it down on you. Be like, I don't care. Come with me. I don't, I'm not being offended. I'm not, I'm not moving. Because I locked it down. Then you're able to be a person that can move in the things of God. You want to be able to move in the things of God. So we need to know that there's safety, safety in knowing the vision. The vision for all of us is this. And it is that we have a divine call. We have a divine purpose. And we have a divine right to finish everything that God has called. We have a divine right to it. That's why we're wall builders. That's why we're keeping our fingers on the puzzle, God. That's why we're pushing forward. That's why we're not turning to the left or to the right. We don't care who comes, who goes. We don't care because we must stay with the divine call, the divine purpose, and the divine right to finish this course. Many people don't move forward. They say, you know, I don't know what it is God wants me to do. You know, the vision is your divine call. And the divine call, it is reconciling others to God. Listen, our vision is not building a school. It's not all those things. That's not the vision. The vision is reconciling others to God. First, I get it right, and then I reconcile others back to God. I get it right so I can share that others can be right with God too. That is your call. Stop looking for, oh, we got a vision for this, we got a vision. No, we, that, that's just the work we're gonna do. You know, we, we, you know, our vision is to have a building. Everybody want a building. That's not a vision. Your vision is to reconcile those that are lost. And the vision is also our divine purpose. What is the divine purpose? It means I have a specific place inside the body of Christ. I have a, a specific place that I'm going to function. Now I'm giving you these in progression for a reason. You will never ever clearly understand your divine purpose until you first walk in your divine call. Please write it down. You will never, ever understand your divine purpose until you walk in your divine call. Start reconciling others back to Jesus Christ. 
When you begin to walk in your divine call, your divine purpose will become clear. You won't have to ask people, can you help me find out what God is calling me to do? When you walk in divine purpose, your divine calling becomes clear. Once you get into the ministry of reconciliation, the ministry of ministering to others, you begin to see what it is that God specifically desires for me to do. You won't have to ask anyone because now I'm flowing, I'm moving, and everything becomes clear. There's a clarity of vision. There's a clarity that comes about when I begin to walk in my calling. But if you never get into your ministry of reconciliation, oh, you're going to always be struggling trying to find out your divine purpose. What is my purpose? Because again, no matter what your divine purpose is, it's tied up in the basic thing which is your call. It's wrapped up in it. it. Do you understand that? It's nowhere else. It's wrapped up in it. I know we run around and we look for churches to tell us this and we want a prophetic word of it. I don't care how you do all of that. Unless You're never going to know your purpose if you're not walking in your call. You're not going to do it. It makes the purpose clear. So there's nothing in the body of Christ that God has called you to do that doesn't have something to do with reconciling people back to God. Anything else has nothing to do with God. Some of the things we try to bring God into has nothing to do with Him. So in order to understand the second part, you need to start operating in the first part. (laughs) You just have to. That's the way it works. And then the third thing is the divine right to finish. That this is so important for us to know that whenever we have a vision from God, not only shows us the end, He promises, He also have will show us to how to get to the end. See that all of that is wrapped up in the call and the purpose. You have a right to have to get to the end. And God said, I'm going to show you the end, and you have a right to get there. So, you, that, so if I have a right to get there, then I need to stay with the source to help me get there. Because that's my right. I have three points this morning that I want to, I'm going to give you self-test, just self-test. And and it applies to each and every one of us. And we, you know, we talk about the vision and specifically, and it's, you know, it's our divine call. We know that, our purpose, our divine right to finish. Now I want to ask you a couple of questions. And you just do some self-inspections. Now these are rhetorical questions, and you, you know, you can feel, you you might not feel like you want to answer them, you know. You know, I wrote them down and I looked at them. You know, they're rhetorical and I didn't answer them out loud either. So you don't have to answer them, you know, out loud. But I want you to think on them. Just, just question, because these are things that are important that you know, that you need to know. Question number one, ask yourself. Do I know and understand the vision that God has for me? Do I know and understand the vision that God has for me? Do I know it spiritually? Do I know it financially? What, what, what does it require financially? Do I know it, know it administratively? Do I know how to admin all of this stuff? 
And do I understand the vision? Now, I already told you what a vision is. Do you understand the vision? Do you know it internally? Do I know it in the area, in my areas of dominion? Do I know it? In my area, because every one of us have an area of dominion, our own sphere of influence. Do you have it in every area of dominion? Do you know as it relates to the infrastructure and understand the vision God has for you? Based on the infrastructure that we're building here and what God is calling you to do. Ask yourself. Question number two. Is your vision clear? Is it clear? Many of you come to a good Bible-believing, Bible-teaching church, and as the Word goes forth, God speaks things to our heart, things we need to do personally, things we need to do in the area of our dominion, things we need to do in the infrastructure. God speaks to us. When we get on the platform, when I get on the platform, God is giving you things to do within the infrastructure. When you hear those things, this is what you need to ask yourself. When you hear these things, do you use that as an opportunity to clarify what God is calling you to do? Say, mm, mm-hmm. Or do you let those things just slide right by? Mm, that was a good word. But you let it slide right by. See, because every time, even this morning, when a message goes forth, it should be clarifying the vision. Or are you letting it just slide by? See, if you come in here with all type of home problems, that's why you need your home straight. You're not hearing. And it just slides right by. What happens with this, we get to a point where things come up in our lives. And we feel like, you, you know, you don't have any direction and you don't know where to start. And then you start blaming God. But God's been speaking all along. What you blaming God for? I don't understand why God is not speaking to me and I need some confirmation. Of, you know, I'm going through this mess and I want God to do what, you know. God's been speaking. He's always speaking. Trying to clarify the vision to you. See, if God is not telling us what we want to hear, we're not listening. And God is busy trying to clarify the vision for you. Now when you're in a crisis and you can't hear from nobody, you say, where's God when I need him? And I guess he answers whenever he wants to. Oh, he's been answering all along. He's been trying to clarify that vision to you all along. Every time that a message goes forth, guess what he's doing? He's trying to bring you into focus. Every time. This morning he was trying to bring you into focus. But many times you become, you know, you, know, you have this apathy about you. And we, you know, we just decide, you know, you know, I'll just work on it later. I, I hear it, but you know, you know, right now I'm gonna get this mess straight. But you know, I know what was said. Everything. See, mm-mm. 
And some of you are waiting. You waiting for the infrastructure. You waiting for the you waiting for the church to to do this and to do that before you can really get into it. And you know you all you waiting on God. And God has told you things relating to different things. You're thank you, Father. I'll say that. God has told you things relating to your health. And guess what? You're going to die before you get it done. Because he's already told you. He's speaking all the time. Trying to clarify the vision for you. You're going you're gonna to die before it's established. Some of you are waiting and waiting and waiting for the infrastructure, and I'm telling you, he told you to do he told you to do something about your finances. You're gonna be bankrupt before you do anything about it. You're gonna have nothing before you do anything about it. You're gonna spend and especially in this season, you're gonna spend every last dime, every penny, until you're waiting on the next check. But he's speaking all the time. Waiting and waiting. I'm waiting for this to happen. Some of you are waiting for the infrastructure. I can't wait to get back and, you know, in children's church and get all the. Some of you are waiting for the infrastructure and your children will be in trouble before all of that happens. They'll be in trouble. And he's been all along trying to bring your vision into focus. For almost two years since the pandemic, he's been trying to bring you into focus. I know God, I, I want to, but I got a meeting. I know God, but I got to do this. I got to do that. And God is saying, but I'm trying to bring things into focus so that your vision will be clear. Not only as it relates to the big picture, but these little small areas of your life. I'm trying to, I'm trying to get get you to see all of those things. Yeah, God, I know that, but you know, I'm caught up right now. I got my job stuff to do. I got this to do. I got that to do. We must make sure that our vision is continually being made clear. That's what our purpose on to make sure the vision is continually clear in my sight. And I had to ask myself, see, it's not just you. When, when ministers minister, it's not just for you. I had to ask myself every one of these questions, and I had to examine my own area of life, in every area of the life. And when I did, you know, I started looking at different things, and some of it seemed real clear. Other areas I started seeing colors and shapes. And I said, you know what, I need to do something about that, because I'm not too clear on that. But you have to examine yourself. Because see, see, you look at one area, you think you're clear, and you're like, oh, I'm good all the way around. No, you need to check every area. Because you're not the one to decide that it's, that it's all clear. Let God decide if you're clear. Until you hear God say clear, you're not clear. You just check one area. And then I went back, and you have to go back, say, and you know what, in this area I'm not focused enough. I need to get more focus. In this area I'm very clear, in this one not so much. Why? I, I need to work on this. 
you got to go back and make sure the vision is clear. And then make sure it's clear to you. Not, see, I don't care if my vision is not clear to everyone else. Make sure it's good. Because God is dealing with you one-on-one. It does, you know, some, that's, that's the problem. Everybody's trying to make their vision, if, if, see if it's okay with everybody else. My vision is not okay if you don't like it. I gotta stay. If God has made it clear to me, that's what I'm operating in. I wrote on my page one day, and I meant it. I said, "You know what? Many people, if God would have, if you would, they would have told their friends and stuff, they were gonna slay Goliath." The friends would say, "Oh, don't do that. Don't leave. Just leave everything alone. Just be at peace. God calls us to peace." I said, if God tells me to slay a giant, I'm going to slay him. I don't care what you think. And I don't care if you say, well, you know, God said, you know, just walk in peace with everybody. Yeah, but he told me to slay that giant. I'm doing exactly what he said. See, if David would have did all of that, he never would have got it done. God tells me to slay a giant, and I know it's in my life. Slay it! Don't listen to nobody. God is not sharing your vision with everybody else. It's with you. You, And listen, and you shouldn't wait on nobody as it relates to your children to make the vision clear. You must go back. God is calling you to make it clear. You know what? Some of you waiting for the infrastructure just for your children here. No. You don't wait for nobody. To make everything clear as it relates to your children. Listen, it is your responsibility to educate your children. The school is not there to educate your children. They're there to assist you in you educating them. <laughs> I know, I know. You, you, yeah, they need to be back in school because they need the education. But <laughs> the school is there to assist you. In the educational process. Not make the... It is the parents' responsibility to make sure that your children are educated. Don't depend on the school. When your child is dysfunctional, don't go blaming the school system. Guess what? You can't sue them. You can't get your money back. You can't do anything. Why? Because it's your responsibility. Don't wait on no school to educate your children. You educate them and let them assist you. Listen, schools are not in the Bible. So God's not holding them accountable. No, no, no. You have to make sure your vision is clear. Make sure your vision is clear. You can eagerly be just waiting on somebody else to do it, but no, schools are not in the Bible. They're not mentioned in the Bible. You can't find them in the Bible. God's not holding them responsible. The schools have, is, listen, there's no role spiritually for the schools, for you. I don't care if you go to a Christian school. There's no role spiritually for the school. Now, they serve as a wonderful function, but they're not listed in God. The parents are. 
<laughs> They're not listed in the Bible. The parents are listed in the Bible. See, we get religious and start trying to take religion into school like God's going to do something with the teachers and stuff. About No, 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 it's nowhere in the Scriptures. The parents are listed in the Bible. Leaders and examples are mentioned in the Bible, but not schools. Not schools. They aren't listed. And we have to, and we have to be careful about shifting blames and shifting things and trying to get, you know, things that, no. It's you. You gotta do it yourself. But see, lack of knowledge make you think foolishly. We have to be very careful about shifting the responsibility to people that God is not going to hold responsible. And that's when we go back to the premise of knowledge that you have. And what society says that need to educate you. See, you, it, it takes you back there. <laughs> it is not the school's responsibility to raise your child. You know, with this pandemic, so many people wanted their children out the house. Like, I want them back in school so they can just start back raising them. I can't do it no more. Ooh, Lord, these children. Mm -mm, mm -mm. They're not listed in the Bible. They're just assisting. Third question. Do I assume, this one is good, do I assume that God's promises are guaranteed? <laughs> Do I assume that God's promises are guaranteed because they're not? You're like, what? What? Just be still. The promises that are guaranteed are for them that believe and on one accord. So they're just not naturally guaranteed. No, those promises are for those that believe and are on one accord with His Word. And if you thought it was a guarantee, then you can live any kind of way and do any kind of way, no matter. That was an erroneous assumption. An error in your assumption. Some of you in here think that your children are going to reap the benefits of the things that you're trying to do here in this infrastructure. But listen to me. That's an erroneous assumption. The infrastructure is for them that believe in on one accord. If your child don't believe in on one accord, I don't care what this infrastructure do, whether I'm here or gone, it will not benefit them because they're not entitled to it. You got it's not a guarantee. You must believe and be on one accord. If your child does not believe and is not on one accord, they have no right to anything that you may do in this infrastructure. Nothing. The infrastructure is not a birthright. Because God said He's not going to let His pearls be cast before swines. It don't change. See, I believe in my heart, and I know 
that a lot of people in this ministry, some of us may be a part, but not in our hearts. And that's different. I know those that are a part with their hearts and those that are just a part. There's a difference. But you know what? God is an unusual God. (laughs) When you are not a part with the heart. He is an unusual God. He'll find a way to exclude you while you're involved. That's how, that's how, he's cold blood. He knows what to do. He knows how to separate the wheat from the tares in a way that nobody else can. In a way that nobody, he has a way of doing it. You don't have to do anything. People say, you know, what about if this happened? You don't have to worry about what God is an unusual God. Just when, like when somebody thinks they've gotten away with something, you know, God will come in right quick. Boom. Get that thing done. And you'll be like, oh, ugh. Everything they think, every time they think they got away with something, God gets them. He's unusual that way. But the knowledge of God's word makes you where you have no fear of someone coming in and taking advantage. See, the knowledge of God will make you, it release you from that kind of fear. Nobody's going to take, you can't take advantage of you when you have God's knowledge. It can't happen. It can't happen. Not if you understand God's word. But God has a way of eliminating those types of things. So never ever assume that God's promises are guaranteed. They come as a result of being in the safety of God's knowledge. And what is the knowledge? The knowledge is it's only guaranteed when I'm operating in His Word and I'm staying with Him and I'm walking with Him and I'm inside the front. I, it just, it's not automatic. Many people, they can quote that and live any kind of way, but it ain't happening. Fourth question, have you began to work on your shortcomings? Whenever God gives you a vision of who you are and what He's called you to do, notice he simultaneously, I'm like, God, you, you, you know, he's unusual like that. He will, as soon as he show you of who you are and what you can do, he'll show you areas that need to be improved. That's just how he is. He said, okay, yeah, this is what I want you to do. This is what I, I'm telling you to do. But now let me show you areas that you need to improve. So when God shows you who you are, he will painfully show you at the same time who you're not. I've seen it a million times. It's like by default. If the answer is A, he'll show you where you wrote B, C, and D. And you're like, uh, okay. You know, you just, I mean, he'll, he'll just, because he keeps showing you. He's trying to keep you focused. He's trying to let you know, I'm working with you. I'm working on you. Last question. Have you aligned yourself up with the vision? Have you aligned? Have I aligned myself up with this vision? In other words, is the vision clear? 
I know I understand it, yet you know. But you understand it, but you still haven't chose to align yourself with it. That's a problem. You choose. You choose when you don't align yourself with the vision. You made the choice. See, it's like, well, I'm still thinking. No, no, no. You've made the choice. (laughs) If you are unrighteous, that is a choice. See, some of you know when you're getting caught up in unrighteous things, and you just don't care. Be like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, but ooh, you know, uh, you trying to connect with people that you know are unrighteous and about to get caught up in unrighteousness, and you just don't care. Some of you are swimming up a stream without a boat, a paddle, or an ability to swim, but you still just get in. You just want to line yourself up. Like, no, I'm not aligning myself up with that vision. In other words, you just won't step up. You, and, and, and this is the thing about it. You know what it is that God wants you to do. You know what it is that God has asked you to do. You already know it. You know what he's asked you to do internally. You already know You know what he's asked you to get rid of. He, You know the relationship that he's asked you to get rid of. And you're going to press it. I've seen that a million times in ministry. You're going to press it. I'm going, I don't care. I'm going to do it. No, I'm going to, no, God, I I know, no, no, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it right now. And God is saying, have you aligned yourself with the vision? Oh, well, I'm doing this right now. Now, point number one was there's safety in knowing the vision. Point number two, there's safety in knowing the plan. There's safety in knowing the plan. Listen, God gives the vision. We make the plan. I'll say it again. God gives the vision. We make the plan. And the plan is simply the action necessary to accomplish the vision. The plan is the actions necessary to accomplish the vision. If your vision is clear, then the plan is self-explanatory. If the vision is clear, the plan is self-explanatory. I'm telling you now. The plan directs us to the, what? Final outcome. The vision makes known what the final outcome is. See, I want you to get this down. I'll say it again. The plan directs us to the final outcome. The vision makes known what the final outcome is. And then the plan directs us right to the final outcome. Hmm. In Psalms 37 and 23, you don't have to turn that. It says that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. In other words, the plans of a good man 
are ordered by the Lord. Now listen, if the plans were the Lord's, he wouldn't have to order them. Get this. It says the steps of a good man or the plans of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If the plans were the Lord's, he wouldn't have to order them. It would say the plans of God, of a good man comes from God. That's what that would say. It would say it comes from God. But it doesn't say that. It says the steps or the plans of a good man are ordered by the Lord. If it says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, that means that you are making the steps and he's doing the ordering. You are making the steps and he's doing the ordering. But you got a step. He's doing the ordering. So you have the plan. It says God delights in the ways of a good man's ways. He delights in that. That translates to me to me the means that God delights in the final outcome of that man's steps. And we're talking about mankind. Gender neutral. It means that God delights in the final outcome of that man's steps. Because as he stepped, he let me order. You make the plan. And then God orders the plan. And then he sits back and delights in the final outcome. Because it is the plan that directs the final outcome. That's simple. We end with James chapter 2. I'll run over there in James chapter 2. We get the vision by faith. Listen, we get the vision by faith, but the plan is the works. The vision is by faith, but the plan is the works. So you are going to always receive the, receive the vision by faith. I, I have faith that God is telling me, wants me to do the vision. It'll come by faith, but the plans is going to come by your works. Look at James chapter 2. Well, I'm going to read this beginning at verse 14. It says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he has faith and have not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say, Depart, be at peace, be warm and filled, notwithstanding we give them not those things which are needful for the body that doth, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, it's dead, being alone. Yea, men say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee the, my, my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God? <laughs> thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. Now he just, now you know what? He just, he just threw shade on us. He said, now the devils believe and tremble. The devil got one up on you. He, they even tremble. You just believe. You just believe. The devils tremble. It didn't even say you tremble. It said even the devils believe and tremble. Never in the way where he said we tremble. We need to. 
But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead. In other words, show me that you believe in the infrastructure here. Where is your work? First at home. <laughs> See, I'm not telling you to come here and try to build the infrastructure here and your home is torn up. First, your home needs to be straight. That's why God had you send in all the questions so that they can be answered. Because he said, first that needs to be taken care of. How are you going to build a wall and yours and your home is being torn down? But look at verse 26. Bless my socks off. Verse 26 says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. That is a powerful scripture. That is a powerful statement. I have to read it again. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Your faith without corresponding action is dead. It's just like a body in a casket. Once the spirit is gone to heaven. It may look alive. It may even seem alive. It may have the appearance of what a, a, a lively person looks like. But your faith is as non-function or non-functional as a person lying in a casket. See, now that just got me. That's how, he said, God said, that's how your faith is, without works. It's just like a person that have already gone to heaven and you come and look at him in the casket. Nothing there. Even though it looks like it's the body. It looks like you know him. You look like the He said, it's just like that. That's what your faith is. But can't move, can't say nothing, can't do nothing, can't... No, it's dead. Your faith without works. Now, because we can talk a good talk. It may sound like faith. It may be even a good faith talk. It may even be a good faith game. Because we can say all the right things. We can decree and declare and name and claim. Do all of that. But if faith can get up and walk, it's just as dead as a person laying in a casket. Is just as dead as a human being that have died on this side. Now see that now that paints a picture for us. Oh my God. That means my faith is doing absolutely nothing. You can talk it. And it's a good game. It sounds good, but it's nothing. So point number one is safety in knowing the vision. Point number two, safety in knowing the plan. And point number three, we'll have to get next week. But there's safety in knowledge. There's safety in godly knowledge specifically. If you want to be safe, godly knowledge is the ticket. When there's a situation or a circumstance that come up, Say, I need to get some godly knowledge on that. Not just knowledge. Because, you know, you, there's a lot of people that just have some just knowledge. 
but it's not going to produce a godly outcome. I will always want godly knowledge because then, you know what, it's, it's going to work every time. Because sometimes you can get knowledge and it just don't turn out as good as you wanted it to. But godly knowledge will always keep you safe. And you may not even understand it at the time with their safety in godly knowledge. You have to be safe. We're going to continue this for the next few weeks on just dealing with knowledge and how safe it is to be in it and understanding what knowledge is, understand how to operate in that knowledge, how to understand what God is speaking to us, preparing us for another turn, preparing us for 2022, preparing us to be the type of people that he's called us to be so that we can be fit for his use. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.